I was camping with my husband and his family at a small remote lake in New Mexico. There were about 10 people in our group and another group of six people in the next campsite. It was nighttime and both groups were doing typical activities, making s'mores, having a few drinks and telling stories. And we all heard what sounded like a little girl yelling out for help. Neither group had children with them and we were all pretty positive. We were hearing a little girl and decided to search the area. We heard with the noises from together. There was a field behind our campsites, and we all saw a very tall, pure white figure standing maybe 100 feet away from us in the field, making noises. We all agreed this thing looked maybe six feet tall, skinny, and white as can be. We made our way closer to investigate, but whatever it was, we saw starting backing off as we got closer, and it disappeared into the trees. All night, we continued to hear a little girl calling for help as we tried to sleep. I'm a psychiatric nurse, and early in my career, I worked at a residential mental health facility. One of our residents was an elective mute, which means that he didn't, wouldn't, and couldn't talk. But there were no more medical reasons as to why. He had spoken earlier in his life and in fact seemed quite normal back then. With the exception of being close to seven feet tall, he'd been raised in the deep south and joined the military when he was 19. But one night he vanished. He was declared AWOL, and eventually he was declared missing and dead. Ten years later, a seven-foot-tall man walked into the VA hospital emergency room in my part of the Midwest and said to the receptionist, My name is Marianne Duchesne, and I have been dead for ten years. Those were the last words he ever spoke. He was covered with dust, and he was wearing the same clothes he had been reported to be wearing the night before he vanished. His social security number had not been used, and he had no identification on his person. However, they were able to identify him via fingerprints. The family was notified, but they said that they had already grieved their lost man and that whoever was claiming to be him could simply not be. They demanded not to be contacted again. Marion paced all day every day, moving his mouth that looked like talking or muttering, but no sound ever came out. He had an unnerving habit of throwing his head back with his mouth wide open as if he were laughing heartily. But not even a breath could be heard. If I talked to him, he appeared to listen, periodically throwing his head back in what looked like a laughter-mimicking way of his. Various medications were tried, but they did not affect him neither positively or negatively. Occupational therapy did nothing because Marianne would just grin, and unless told to stay put, he would just get up and start pacing again. On my last day in the job, the last thing I saw was Marion, pacing in the parking lot, throwing his head back to laugh. Later, I was wondering if all along I had been dealing with a ghost, and all these years later, I still don't know.
To begin with, I have always been skeptical towards the paranormal, but for several years I have seen and heard things that do not seem to me to be of this world. I currently live in Spain, and am originally from an Eastern European country. On the day in question of my first paranormal experience, my family, my parents and sister, had gone to another city about 600 kilometers away to visit my aunt and uncle, staying home alone. My parents went out into the afternoon and came back the next day at night, the night of his departure. I was sleeping, as and as I turned over, I half opened my eyes and saw clearly as daylight a dark shadow in human form with two red orbs for eyes across the room looking at me. I didn't give it any importance until the next day when I remembered it, until I went back to sleep. My room overlooked the inner courtyard of the building we lived in, and being winter, the blinds were all the way down to keep out the cold so it wouldn't have to have been outside light. Or there wouldn't have been outside light. To this day, the memory of that shadow continues to haunt me as I have not found any explanation or for what I saw or even try to recreate it without success. We were driving my friend's really old beat-up Subaru through a massive graveyard. We stopped and walked down a hill and came across a little pond. There was someone sitting on a rock on the other side of the pond. The figure was all black, and we couldn't make out any other features other than the fact that it looked like a man who was wearing some old-style hat. We stupidly waved and shouted hi. He didn't show any acknowledgement and continued sitting on the rock. All of a sudden, he jumped to his feet starting running towards us on the water and then vanished in a thin air about halfway on the pond. My friends and I screamed and ran back to the car. The car wouldn't start, and we heard something banging on the back of the car. It wasn't a constant bang, but every few seconds or so we'd hear it. Nobody was outside from what we could tell, but it was also dark. But something was making a noise in the car. I opened my phone and started dialing my mom to come and give us a boost, but it had no service. None of us had any cell service. The next 30 minutes were spent trying to get the car started. No bang was heard afterwards, but we felt this heavy pressure around us. Finally, the car started and she hit the pedal to and she hit it to the pedal of the metal. The finally the car started and she hit the pedal to the metal. We sped out of the graveyard so fast, immediately crossing the gates, all of our phones regained cell service. One thing I know for certain is that someone or something was still out there and it was not animal nor human. Despite the lengthy winter, the beginnings of spring bloomed boldly, as though the urging hot summers to arrive sooner. It felt as though the blades of winter had parted and the greeting of an upcoming year would be on the horizon. Ruby inhaled deeply, her desire for the loving blossoms so strong that she could practically taste the promise of their scent. She strolled along the big avenue, her feet braver than they've ever been before just thinking about the transition of weather relaxing her. Ruby had her first day of work after years of unemployment, and she was eventually hired as a ward in an asylum. It didn't sound too fascinating at first, but it paid well. It wasn't easy being at a ward in an asylum, but where she has to deal with a variety of patients, some of whom were mentally scary and draining. 
Her mother was extremely proud of her because she was the, her only daughter and she was able to manage the house tasks while also having a tiny income since Ruby's father died when he, she was very young. As she walked through the corridor, she noticed several psychotics, but Henry was the only one who attracted her eye. From the depths of his eyes to the delicate nuances in his voice, he was very attractive. When he gleamed with a new thought, his voice accelerated, and she almost lost herself for a while, forgetting about the disguise he wore for others. Meanwhile, Rachel, the asylum's primary administrator, arrived in the scene, and Ruby was busy examining the psychopaths who were determined to escape their confinement. Aren't they poor kids? Isn't this a far cry from a scary scene? With a tiny girl on her lips, Rachel said. Don't you feel? No, I'm scared since it's my first day of work, and they simply look unfortunate, Ruby responded empathetically. What a lovely name you have, Ruby. Welcome to the asylum. I'm going to offer you the option of picking where you want to oversee during the winters. And there are a few conditions that I'll go over with you later. Ruby was nodding her head nervously as Rachel continued. I'd want to go down that corridor, replied Ruby. Oh, I see you mean the one just there, close to Henry, Rachel asked. Yes, just there, Rachel said nervously. Well, good. Just don't be deceived by his charm. He may be a nice middle-aged man, but we had to replace a lot of wards, so be warned. Because you can see the person right there is the equal of five psychopaths and neurotic threats the doctors haven't uncovered, the true reason of no one knows what trauma and problem he has. Diagnosing him will be a bit tricky. He's also been known to flee. Then again, we'll offer you a raise. Are you still prepared to take that corridor? Rachel was questioned once more. Ruby answered with a frightened tone. Yes. What a bold move. Then you may take a day off today and come back to work tomorrow. Prepare yourself for the coming days by becoming tough. Few words of caution. Avoid having extended chats with him. I understand that living at the institution is stressful, but avoid personal contact interactions with any of the lunatics and heartless individuals there, or you may get into problems. I'll make certain that doesn't happen. Thank you very much, Ruby responded with a smile. Everyone who joins in work says this, but then violates the law. So let's see how long you can endure. Anyway, best of luck to you with your other work, said Rachel. Ruby thought she was being disrespectful, so she walked up to Henry, who was standing there creepily gazing with his huge, lovely eyes as if he were an animal waiting for his prey. He grinned and waved at Ruby, who discreetly waved back, but then recalled Rachel's warning that she shouldn't be so nice, so she reluctantly pulled her hand back in her pockets and got away. Ruby had eye-to-eye personal contact with Henry the next day. The day had dawned. Henry awakened, his eyes slowly focusing on the bare bulb above him. He was vaguely aware that his body was tight and straight, with little room for movement. He could see heavy straps around him, his arms and legs, as he raised his head. He swallowed, scared, as saliva gathered in the back of his throat. More saliva flowed, and he swallowed it down again and over to stay calm. He twisted and turned his limbs, feeling the fabric's contact against his flesh. He had the type of expression on his face that made you halt in your feet. He was so acclimated with individuals' regular articulations, stopping when they glanced toward him, then, at that point, repaying him with an indiscreet gaze and a weak smile. The flush that followed it was obvious. It didn't help that he was so modest with regards to it. It simply added to the young lady's appreciation of him. He was alluring outwardly, Yet he was shocking within. Ruby was quietly taking a gander at him in her mind. 
My name is Henry, and it's great to meet you. Did that lady tell you anything about me the other day? With a great broad smile on his face, Henry inquired. Nothing. She was simply giving me a tour of the hallways, Ruby calmly replied. Really? Did you pick this hallway? Did she give you a task? What about this corridor piqued your interest? I'm guessing it's me, with a kind smile, Henry inquired. It, it's been a long time since I've seen a female as lovely as you. Ruby stayed silent, resolving not to talk, and doing everything she could to avoid becoming involved in any conversation. She fought the urge to smile because it had been a long time since a man had complimented her in her appearance. I don't have any rights in this place. I am unable to go. I have no control over when I get up or when I go to bed. I'm powerless to resist the toxins that make my thoughts sluggish to the point of halting at every feeling. Except for the window personnel who gaze through, the rooms have no handles and are smooth metal sheets. A bed is frozen couch with a single blanket for support. The screams of others who have been driven insane by the hours of seclusion never stop. We're not sufferers, but rather prisoners. Hardly human. There isn't a single person in this room who isn't terrified of me, even though I'm a little unkind. Insane is crazy, and the staff bears the brunt of the reputation. Well, you appear timid, therefore I'm guessing you're afraid. Are you one of them? So do you think the Wartson has given enough information on me? Has she done so? Or you haven't told me everything I need to know, Henry inquired, a cheeky grin on his face. Didn't you say the individuals who worked here before you left in a week? Aren't you interested to know why I did that? Aren't you going to want to be safe? Assaulting her with a barrage of criticism, pleading with her to talk. What do you mean by safe, Ruby inquired. Ah, you're talking now. I can see you're concerned about your safety. And your safety is something that worries me, Henry burst out laughing. I will tell you why they left. Come a little closer, Henry stated with a smile. When they first met. Their eyes were in direct eye contact, and his eyes were so dreamy but so captivating that she became lost and moved closer, to which he answered a low murmur, because they were terrified. Are you also afraid of me? Henry said, his voice sorrowful. Ruby replies as she stares ahead his face and answers, no, I'm not. Well, you see, I can tell you stories from my upbringing, and if you listen to each one of them carefully, I will die. And if you don't, you will die. Accepted? Ruby sympathized with the situation, assuming he had no one to talk to and was thus attempting to communicate with someone by inventing a petty challenge. Well, I take it, she said with that smile on her face. Henry's smile became brighter and brighter like a spring flower opening. She witnessed how it emerged from deep inside him to illuminate his eyes and spread over his entire body. She could tell by the tone of his voice, the words he chose, and the way he relaxed. It was stunning. All right. I was raised in a tiny town where the wind rustled through the streets, the rain danced on the roofs, and the sun conspired with the starlight to keep the town always illuminated. It was a lovely location. After my father died, it became a nightmare, and my mother had to raise money to force me to attend a school at any age, at an early age. As our position deteriorated, my mother was forced to sell one of her kidneys to make ends meet. However, Something awful occurred afterward. The bell sounded loud, signaling that the wards needed to return home. I'll tell you further tomorrow, Henry said with a smile. Ruby couldn't get the narrative out of her head, and shockingly, on her journey home, she sympathizes with the story since she too was an only child who had experienced the challenges of being raised by a single mother. She recognized herself in him and could relate to him on a deeper level. 
She couldn't get Henry out of her thoughts while she was sleeping, his warm smile and fascinating discourse. And after all, she was extremely curious about what had led to the lovely, clever person to end up in an institution, so she couldn't wait to meet him the next day. When the next day dawned, they both changed glances, Ruby anxiously anticipating the second part of the story. My mother got emotionally distant from me, and she began suppressing information from me. She always carried a book with her, which she hid from me. She used to beat me up daily, and I was subjected to mental and emotional abuse. So that day, I decided to go through what she had written in the book, which featured cursed messages and photographs of my father, depicting how cruel he was to have several relationships, and I found out that she was the one who murdered him. My high school was the only place I wanted to be. I wasn't particularly sociable, and I only had two friends with whom I spent most of my time. They gave me instructions which I followed with care and ease. I always followed their advice. What exactly did they advise you to do? The ruby said in curiosity. The bell tolls. Every day she went, she got invested to be there and listened to the other story. By the time she got more invested, she would get psychotically thrilled. They told me to kill my mother. And I did because I respect my friends now. I am loyal to my friends. And now I murder everything that smells, sounds, or looks like her. They are deserving of death. Ruby had shivers down her spine for hearing the monster. But she pretended to be brave and didn't reveal a dread in her face. Who are these friends of yours? Ruby questioned, her voice trembling as she grieved. They are with me right now and with you. And one is following you closely, said Henry, deeply staring into her soul. Ruby felt shivers down her spine as she realized Henry was a madman with no remorse. My pals are begging me to get close to you, Henry screamed. Ruby's rage revealed the fearful kid inside her, the girl who had been trained to fight and deprived of the affection she sought. The following day when Ruby departed, she noticed the shadow following her and sped up her pace to get home. When she could hear Henry's whisper, don't hurry Ruby, watch behind you. She began to run as she quickened her speed when she eventually arrived home. She rang the bell multiple times while her mother answered the door and found Ruby short of breath. Before her mother could say anything, she yelled, Be quiet. Someone is following me. Call the cops. Call the cops. Call the cops. Call the cops, she said. The home door slammed shut violently behind her, and she turned around to see the locking door behind her. Who asked you to call the authorities? She could hear Henry whispering. While cops were on the way, the door began to bang loudly. While Ruby was ready with a knife in her hand, Henry broke open the door, coming close to her, and she slid open his throat. Suddenly, her phone began to buzz loudly. It was a text message from Rachel, stating that Henry had committed suicide and was left dead with a note behind saying, Thank you for listening. Ruby's complexion turned as pale as her eyes. She had lost the color of her skin. Perhaps her heart had suddenly stopped pumping, and all the blood had flowed down into her feet. Ruby suddenly took a pallid experience, as if she'd been coated with whitewash. Her lips were hardly visible. Then, with one stage in reverse, she folded like a mannequin who had been unexpectedly stripped of her strings. Slowly blacking out, she glanced at the corpse and discovered her mother dead. However, the cops had not arrived at her residence yet, and it was too late. Days later, Rachel gives a description to the person who came to guard the prison. You know the rules, right? The guard nodding his head. Yes. All the best then left Rachel and stood Rudy there with a beautiful smile waiting for her prey.